Well, I love Christmas. It's one of my favorite times of the year, if not the favorite time of the year. And one of the things I really love about Christmas time are the, the carols that we sing during the Christmas season. I, I'm one of those who uh, basically, as soon as like November rolls around, we start Christmas carols in our, in our family. We're listening to them on the radio, in the car. I know some people like to wait till after Thanksgiving, but uh, we just love Christmas time in our family. And so uh, one of the things that we really treasure are, are the great songs that we sing and uh, the many carols that we sing. And one of my favorite activities at Christmas time is going caroling. Our, our adult Bible fellowship group this past week, our family was out of town. We missed our annual Christmas caroling event, which is always one of the highlights of the year. I love the carols. Every time I sing them, they bring me back to my childhood and all these great memories of Christmas time. And one of my favorite carols is one of the greatest carols of all time, Joy to the World. We sang it together here a, a few minutes ago. Joy to the World is such a great and classic song pointing us to the true meaning of Christmas. I, I want to share some history about uh, this, uh, this great song with us this morning. Joy to the World was w- written by a man named Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts lived from 1674 to 1748, and he was born and raised and spent his entire life in London, England. And, and Isaac Watts was an incredible child prodigy. God just blessed this guy with an incredible gift to to do poetry and and to write music and and to learn languages. I I want you to think about this for a minute. Isaac Watts, when he was four years old, learned to speak Latin. When he was nine years old, he learned to speak Greek. When he was ten, he picked up French. And by the time he was 14 years old, he could speak biblical Hebrew. I mean, are you kidding me? That's just, that just blows my mind. This guy was literally uh, an incredible, incredible mind. He was also known as, a, as an amazing poet. And in fact, from a young age, he began writing poetry, and his poetry was so good that, that his parents literally thought that he had to be plagiarizing somebody else. So one day when he was seven years old, uh, when Isaac Watts came home from school, his mom, not believing that he was really writing the stuff that he was coming home with, she said, Isaac, I want you to sit down at the kitchen table right now, and I want you to write a poem for me. And so Isaac Watts, at seven years old, sat down at the kitchen table and on the spot penned this poem. I am a vile, polluted lump of earth, so I've continued since my birth. Although Jehovah grace does daily give me, as sure this monster Satan will deceive me. Come therefore, Lord, from Satan's claws, relieve me. Wash me in thy blood, O Christ, and grace divine impart. Then search and try the corners of my heart, that I in all things may be fit to do service to thee and sing thy praises too. Seven years old. Now, friends, not only is the depth of the theology here in this poem incredible, not only is the the rhythm and cadence of this poem absolutely amazing, but if you'll notice, the first letter of each line spells out the words, Isaac Watts. It was an acrostic, seven years old. This guy was literally a genius. As a young man, Isaac Watts' parents raised him going to church. And at that day, uh, in that day, the church only sang the Psalms out of the Bible for their worship. 
they, they would sing the Psalms. And one day coming home from church, Isaac, as a young man, complained to his father, Dad, why do we always have to sing just the Psalms? I mean, I, I'm kind of bored with this music that we sing at church all the time. And so Isaac Watts' father said to him as they walked, he said, well, Isaac, if you think you can do any better, why don't you go home and, and write something? So Isaac Watts went home, and that afternoon he wrote the classic hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Isaac Watts would go on to compose over 600 hymns in his lifetime. Classic hymns like, Oh God, our help in ages past, and I sing the mighty power of God. But surely Isaac Watts' most famous hymn was that great song that we sang already this morning, Joy to the World. Isaac Watts composed Joy to the World in 1719. And do you know, friends, to this day, Joy to the World is still the most published Christmas hymn in the history of North America. It's been sung by classic musicians from Andy Williams to Bing Crosby, even in more modern times, Mariah Carey. It's one of the most popular Christmas hymns of all time. Now, now with all this background, you might be thinking to yourself, man, this, this Watts guy must have lived a, a charmed life. But the reality is, Isaac Watts was no stranger to adversity. He was no stranger to trials and hardship. Isaac Watts was raised in a family involved in a Protestant church movement called the Nonconformists. This was a group of, of Protestant Christians in England at the time who didn't want to be restricted to worship in the state church, the Anglican church. And so like, like many of our forefathers here in the Evangelical Free Church in Scandinavia, these nonconformists in England separated from the official state churches. But in that day and age, it was illegal to do so. And so Isaac Watts, his father, was actually in prison when he was born. He spent many of Isaac Watts' early years in prison for his desire to worship Jesus apart from the restrictions of the state church. Not only was Isaac Watts' father in prison much of his young life, but just a few years before Isaac Watts was born, the bubonic plague swept through London, killing over 100,000 people. Isaac Watts grew up with many family members, friends, and neighbors having lost countless loved ones. It was a time of mourning and grief. As a result of the plague, it was a time of great economic hardship. And not only did Watts know hardship and trial in all of these areas, he also knew hardship and trial relationally in his own life. Watts, as a young man, had engaged in a letter-writing relationship with a young woman who ultimately agreed to marry him. At this time, he had already gained some fame for many of the songs that he had written, and this young woman, over the course of some correspondence, agreed to be engaged to Watts, but she had never met him personally. When she finally traveled to London, England, Isaac Watts was known to be a fairly unattractive man, and when she took one look at Isaac Watts, she broke off the engagement and broke his heart and he would never marry the rest of his life. You see, Isaac Watts knew what it was to go through trials and hardship, and yet Watts was inspired to write this amazing song of praise to the Lord. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive its King. 
Friends, what was the inspiration behind this powerful song? The inspiration behind Watts' song was an equally powerful passage of Scripture. Psalm 98. Watts read Psalm 98 and it caused his heart to overflow with joy. Let's read this psalm together, the inspiration for this great Christmas carol. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Friends, this is a psalm of rejoicing. The word rejoice, it literally means to return to the source of your joy. What does it mean to rejoice? It means to return to the source of your joy. What is the source of our joy, friends? The source of our joy is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know, when I read this psalm, you can't help but overflow with joy. In fact, Albert Barnes, in his commentary on Psalm 98, he says this, One cannot read this psalm without being a happier man, without lofty views of God, without feeling that he is worthy of universal praise, without recognizing that he is in a world where the mind should be joyful, that he is under the dominion of a God whose reign should fill the mind with gladness. Psalm 98 is this psalm of rejoicing. And it was this psalm that inspired Watts to write the song, Joy to the World. Well, this morning what I want to do for us is highlight for us three reasons that we see within this psalm that we have for rejoicing this Christmas season. I know that many of us are coming into the Christmas season in different seasons, different places of life. And for some of you, the Christmas season doesn't feel like a very joyous time right now. Maybe you're struggling with hardships of different kinds. Maybe, maybe unemployment or maybe struggles in your marriage or family life. Maybe sickness, illness. And, and as you look ahead to Christmas, you're thinking, what do I have to rejoice in? Friends, my prayer for us today is as we look at Psalm 98, we might be reminded of the ultimate the, the real meaning that we have in, in Christmas, the reasons that we have to rejoice this year. So let me highlight three of these for us this morning from our passage. Number one, Psalm 98 tells us that we can rejoice this Christmas because we have a Lord who saves. We have a Lord who saves. Let me read verse one again. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Now scholars disagree over when this psalm was written. Some say that this psalm was written during the time of King David. Others argue that it was written some 470 years after David, after Israel's return from exile in Babylon. 
But regardless, the Israelites would have had in mind as they read this psalm many of the remarkable deeds that God had done on their behalf. Many of the remarkable examples of God's faithfulness to his people. Maybe they thought about the exodus from Egypt. Maybe they envisioned Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. Maybe they remembered the the armies of Israel coming into the promised land and being faced with the mighty walls of Jericho that God miraculously brought tumbling down. Or if this was a later psalm, maybe, maybe they thought of their time in Babylon and they recalled the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace being delivered by one who looked like the Son of Man. Maybe they recalled Daniel in the lion's den being delivered from the mouths of the angry lions. Or maybe they thought of Queen Esther rescuing the Israelites from from the hands of an evil emperor who wanted to commit genocide and wipe them out. And all of these things would have come to mind for the Israelites as they thought about the many faithful works of God's mighty right hand. Friends, yes, the Lord has done amazing things for his people. But today, as we read this psalm, we know that this psalm was ultimately pointing us to the greatest miracle of all, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. When the Son of God took on human flesh and personally revealed himself to us. You see, friends, 2,000 years ago, God did something that would forever change human history. An event took place that would forever split history into B.C. and A.D. when God personally revealed himself to us. You see, our creator looked down upon a world that he made, a world that he loved, and he saw his creation caught up in the bondage of sin, struggling with with the results of our rebellion against him. And God said, I want to tell you how much I love you. I want to rescue you out of this bondage to decay, as the Apostle Paul called it in Romans 8. And how was God going to do that? God said, I will become a man. And I will live like a man. And I will talk like a man. And by my life, you will know what I am like and how much I love you. And so 2,000 years ago, God initiated this rescue mission. Friends, that's what Christmas is really all about. You know, we think of the trees and the ornaments and the carols and Santa Claus and the presents and all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, what is Christmas all about? It's about God's divine rescue mission where he came into this world to deliver us from our sins and to bring us back into a new life, a relationship with him. It was all about God's love for us. The Apostle John in 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10, he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, that's why Jesus came, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The word atonement simply means to be made one. To be made one again with our creator God. To come back into his presence, free from the sin and rebellion that that causes us to be separated from him. 
There's nothing we can do on our own power to, to make ourselves right with God again, to, to achieve or earn this oneness with our Creator. And so God knew that He had to initiate a rescue mission. And so when Jesus Christ came into this world, He lived a perfect, sinless life. As a man, fully man and fully God, he was there for the perfect sacrifice. When he went to that cross and shed his blood, he did it for you and for me so that we could be washed and cleansed and forgiven of our sins. That's what the atonement is all about. It's about being made one again with our creator who loves us so very much. We have a Lord who saves friends and he saves out of his great love. And I pray that this Christmas, you know our Savior. You know our Lord and King who has rescued us. What a great time of year to reflect on that rescue mission. That's what it's all about. That's what Christmas is. God's rescue mission for fallen, lost, rebellious people. We have a Lord who saves But secondly, in our passage this morning, we also read in verses 4 through 6 that we have a Lord who reigns. Here in verses 4 through 6, God calls us to make music to the Lord, to burst into jubilant song, and to shout for joy before the Lord. And why are we called to do this? Well, it's found in verse 6. Verse 6 tells us because he is king. We shout for joy before the Lord because he is king. He reigns today. He is a sovereign God over all creation. And he's worthy of our praise. In the ancient world, whenever a king would return home from a great victory, his people would all meet him at the city gates. And as he would come through the gates of the city, the people would shout out in jubilant praise and singing. And when I think about this passage, I can't help but, but think about the scene on Palm Sunday when Jesus marched into Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem lined the streets, welcoming him with shouts of praise as the coming king, the promised Messiah. And even today, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, as we reflect on, on the wonder and simplicity of the nativity, God becoming a man, Friends, we still have reasons to sing carols to our king. You know, it's interesting, when I was a kid, I, I, I used to worry that we would someday run out of songs to sing. Have any of you ever thought that before? I mean, like, thousands and thousands of songs have been written. In, you know, are we ever going to run out of music? I, I used to think about that as a kid. But you know something, friends? It's impossible We will never run out of new songs to sing. We'll never run out of new music. And why is that? It's because we will never fully explore or exhaust the beauty and majesty of the nature and character of our God. And friends, even creation is just a reflection of all of God's beautiful nature and character. And so we'll never run out of songs to sing because God himself is limitless. And it's the same for Christmas. We're never going to run out of new Christmas music. It's impossible because we will never fully plumb the depths of the wonder of Christ's incarnation. I love the song Sophie sang for us during our offering. He came like a winter snow, slowly and soft, falling to the earth. And you know, when I think about that song, a beautiful Christmas song. 
celebrating the incarnation of our Savior. That song's only 10 years old. Friends, new songs are always being written because God's wonder and his beauty and the marvel of the incarnation is limitless. See, friends, Psalm 98 tells us in verses 4 through 6 that the more we come to know and fall in love with God, our King, the more that love will naturally overflow in hearts of praise. We will burst out in jubilant song and singing. And this is why over and over again throughout the Bible, we're called to sing a new song unto the Lord. Over a dozen times, the Bible calls us to sing a new song unto the Lord. But it's not only that we're called to sing a new song, we're called to sing to the Lord because he is our king. And our singing is just the natural overflow of a heart that's falling more and more in love with Jesus. You know, one of the, one of the great things I've observed over my nine years serving here at Lakes Free, one of the things I think is so humorous, in a good way, right, is watching people come to church for the first time or, and, and, and they're not into singing, right? A lot of you can relate to this. They show up at church and I'm just going to stand there, right? Like in our, in our Scandinavian, you know, culture, we're stoic and I'm not going to sing. I don't care how much everybody around me sing. I'm not going to, right? And, or else we get these macho tough guys that come to church, you know, all these, these macho tough guys, you know, athletes or hunters and I'm not going to sing. I'm just going to stand here, right? But what's funny for me to watch is over the years, as they hear the word of God and as they're moved and touched by the power of the gospel, slowly God begins to, to melt that hardness in their heart. And, and pretty soon, over the course of years, you begin to see these guys rejoicing and singing praise. And, and even some of you guys are now raising your hands, celebrating in worship, right? Because that's what happens. When a heart is, is touched by the, by the beauty and majesty of our King who reigns, you can't help but to be affected by that and to have it ultimately overflow in jubilant song and rejoicing. Friends, true joy comes when you know the king who reigns today. The king who reigns over the universe, the king who reigns over your life, the king who knows everything about you. He has all the hairs on your head numbered. For some of us, that's a lot easier task for him. But... (laughs) But there's nothing about your life that's outside of God's sovereign will and plan and control. He knows you intimately. He loves you passionately. And he is sovereign over all things. And so this Christmas we can rejoice because we have a king who reigns. Thirdly, our passage this morning in verses 7 through 9 tells us that we can rejoice this Christmas because we have a Lord who is coming again. God is coming again for his people. Verses 7 through 9 tell us that not only do God's people rejoice over our king, but all of creation literally sings in anticipation of our king who is coming again. All of creation sings. Friends, did you know creation sings? It sings today. All of creation sings today. And it's literally true. Mark Batterson, in his book, All In, he talks about the reality of how all of creation today worships our Creator God. In his book, All In, page 118, Mark Batterson says, All things were created by God and for God, no exceptions. And all of creation worships the King. 
He goes on, he says, Arnold Sommerfeld, the German physicist and pianist, observed that a single hydrogen atom emits 100 frequencies, making it more musical than a grand piano, which only emits 88 frequencies. He goes on to say that an electron shell of the carbon atom produces the same harmonic scale as a Gregorian chant. Whales, their songs can travel thousands of miles underwater. Meadowlarks have a range of 300 notes. But the songs we can hear audibly are only one instrument in the symphony orchestra called creation. Research in the field of bioacoustics has revealed that we are surrounded by millions of ultrasonic songs. Super-sensitive sound instruments have discovered that even earthworms make faint staccato sounds. Lewis Thomas put it this way, If we had better hearing and could discern the singing of seabirds, the rhythmic drumming of schools of mollusks, or even the distant harmonies of flies hanging over meadows in the sun, the combined sound might lift us off our feet. Friends, someday that sound will lift us off our feet. When we have glorified eardrums, we will be able to hear literally all of creation singing praises to our King. Friends, creation sings those praises because our King reigns, but also in anticipation of the day when our King will come again. And when He comes again, He's going to set all things right. He's going to liberate this world, as the Apostle Paul speaks of in Romans 8, from its bondage to decay. He's going to rid the world of sin and and evil and sickness and death. And all of these things will be wiped away. The old order of things, the book of Revelation says, will be washed away. And behold, all things will be made new. Psalm 98 tells us that when the Lord returns, he is going to come and he is going to judge the world in righteousness and equity. Now, friends, I know it's not popular today to think about God as a judge. And a lot of people don't like to think about the reality of of an ultimate judgment. People would rather think of God as all-loving and fully accepting and a God who affirms us no matter what. But friends, let me ask you, what kind of loving God would not ultimately judge sin and evil? What kind of loving God would allow a broken world filled with things like greed and exploitation and racism and abuse and rape and murder? What kind of loving God would allow those things to go on? without facing any kind of judgment. Friends, that's not a God of love. That would be a monstrous God. But the God of Scripture is not a monstrous God. He's a God of love and justice. And one day he will return to judge this world with righteousness and equity. And friends, while that day is going to be a terrible day of judgment for those who refuse to humble themselves before the King, For those of us who know and have received the gift of Christmas, new life through a relationship with our Savior Jesus Christ, friends, we're going to join with all of creation in singing praises to our King. And on that day, friends, creation is going to sing a new song. 
Revelations 5.13 tells us that when the Lord returns, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Friends, one day all of creation will sing when the King returns. But I have to ask you an important question today. When that day comes, when the king returns, how will he find you? Will he find you singing his praise with all of creation? Or will he find you usurping his authority, ruling as the Lord over your own life? You seated on the throne of your own heart, the place reserved rightfully only for him. How will he find you? See, the the ultimate message of Christmas is that God and His love offers us this incredible gift, free gift, a gift of grace, a gift of mercy, a gift of salvation, forgiveness from sin, new life with God. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. It's a free gift. But friends, to receive that gift, like the shepherds and wise men 2,000 years ago, you have to humble yourself before King Jesus. So I ask you again this Christmas season, how will the King find you when he comes? Have you humbled yourself before the Lord? Friends, there's no better time than Christmas to bow before King Jesus and to receive his wonderful gift of salvation. It's free. It's for you. He loves you. He wants nothing more than for you to know the joy that comes from embracing his gift. Let me close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we have been blessed this morning with some incredible worship led by our young children, singing praise to our King. Thank you, Lord, for that great reminder of what your incarnation is all about. And Jesus, I thank you for Isaac Watts. I thank you for the the gift you gave him to write incredible music wonderful songs of praise that lift our souls every year, Lord, songs like joy to the world. But more than even that, Lord, we thank you for your inspired word and beautiful passages like Psalm 98, which point us to our King, our Savior, our King who reigns, our King who is coming again. Lord, we have reason to rejoice this Christmas. And I pray, God, that this message would be uh, an inspiration to us as we begin our celebration this Christmas season. Help us to be reminded and, and be mindful of these truths, that we have reason to rejoice. No matter the circumstances around us, we can rejoice today because we worship the reigning King of the universe who loves us, who gave us the most incredible gift of all, new life, and forgiveness from our sins. And one day you promise, Lord, you are coming again to make all things new. And Jesus, we join with all of creation singing your praise in anticipation of that great day. God, bless us this Christmas with the reminders of who you are and all you are and all that you will be one day to us when we join you in your renewed creation. Heavenly Father, if there's anybody here this morning who hasn't received the gift of Christmas, the, the, the hope of good news, the hope of salvation and new life with you. I pray that even right now this morning, 
they might just humble themselves before you. And right now, in the quiet of their own heart, they might simply say, Jesus, I know I need you. And I want to receive the gift of salvation that you purchased for me when you died on that cross. I want to experience that atonement that we talked about this morning. I want to be made one again with you, my creator. Jesus, I humble myself before you today. And I receive that gift. Friends, if you will receive that gift this morning, Jesus will begin a new work in you. He'll make you a new creation and you can know the true joy of Christmas this year. We thank you, Jesus. We praise your name. We celebrate you this Christmas. Amen.